Last Sunday, we started off with really focusing on the great commandment. We said, out of all the things that we need to think about and we need to obey, we need to focus on this new year, we said that if Jesus said there's nothing more important than the great commandment, to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, if there's nothing more important than that, then our greatest ambition for the new year ought to be the great commandment. That's what we said last week. And so we are expecting great things as we love God with our whole being, with our entire life, making him the center of our love, the center of our lives. We are expecting great things. We are expecting God to move in power in this new year. But in today's passage, you are going to encounter the greatest enemy that you will face in this new year. The greatest challenge that you will face in 2022 is right in our passage. It's sin. Remember, up to this point, uh, everything has been great for the people of God. They have been victorious uh, in God's presence, obeying God's word. The people of God are seizing God's promises through the power of God. So far, it's been a wonderful journey where they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground, where they brought down Jericho with a little bit of walking, a little bit of shouting, and a little bit of trumpet playing. Um, basically, in a supernatural way, God is leading his people so that they can enjoy life as it was meant to be. As the people of God are trusting, as they are obeying God, God is giving them miracle after miracle, victory after victory. And all of a sudden, when you come to chapter 7, the narrative, the tone of the narrative, it changes. Out of nowhere, you see that there's a defeat, a devastating defeat in the camp of Israel. And that's where we pick up in verse 2. It says this, after the victory of Jericho, it says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Now, quick comment. I spent way too much time trying to figure out, is it Ai or is it I? Right? Uh, so what I found in my studies is uh, in America, most people call it Ai. In Hebrew, it is pronounced I. So you can go either ways if you want to. Be smart and say, well, I'm going to follow the original language. You can say uh, I if you just want to be humble and, and so that you can use a language, how other people can understand it, just say AI. And so you can go either way, okay? Just want to throw that out there. So we see that Joshua sent men from Jericho to AI. Why? To spy on the city. And what do they say when they come back to Joshua? We read in today's passage that they say, oh, that city is so tiny. The people are few. We don't have to waste our time and our energy and our army trying to conquer that, that city. We can just send two to 3,000 men. I mean, we just brought down Jericho, the mighty fortress. And so AI, not a problem. We don't even need the entire army. And so they are full of confidence. Joshua trusts um, uh, what the spies say. And so he goes into the army, the battle, he tries to take down AI, and out of the 3,000 men, we are told that 36 men are killed and the rest are fleeing from AI. And at the end of verse 5, it says this, and the hearts of the people, the people of Israel, melted and became as water. This is so significant because when Joshua sent spies into Jericho, when they encountered Rahab, uh, the prostitute, what she said was, we are terrified. The Canaanites are terrified of your God. Our hearts are being melted. That's what they say. After the people of Jericho, they see the people of Israel cross the Jordan River. Again, what the Bible says is their, their hearts were melted. They were afraid of God. But here we see that tables are turned. It's the Israelites 
that they're living in fear. Their hearts are melted like water. They are afraid now because they have been defeated. So the army of Israel has been defeated. The entire nation of Israel, they are disheartened. And Joshua, he is confused and devastated. He doesn't know what to do. He tears his clothes. He falls on his face before the ark of the Lord. And he spends time before the Lord all day until evening. He's asking the question, why God? Why at this moment? Did I do anything wrong? I mean, the last time I checked, I I did everything according to your commands. And you promised me in Joshua 1 that if I follow your ways, if I abide in your presence, that you would give me victory. That everywhere I go, that I will have success. That you will give me this land. That you would fight against my enemies. And so in Joshua's mind, he's thinking, I kept my end of the bargain. God, what about you? Where are you? When our army has been defeated, when we are discouraged, where where are you? And, And the worst thing that he's thinking about is now the Canaanites, they no longer fear your name. They, they think we're simply you know, a, a piece of cake, right? You, we can easily be conquered. Like, what's happening here? And the response that, that God gives to Joshua is, is not, well, my bad, Joshua. I, I let this one slip. It's not, well, Joshua, I'm sorry, buddy. You just happened to be this way. No. He says in verse 10, this is what he says. Get up, Joshua. Get up from your face. Why have you fallen on your face? Verse 11. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. So what God says is stop praying. Deal with the, camp, the sin in your camp. Deal with the sin issue that exists among your people. It's not that I failed you. It's that you were unfaithful to me. That's what God is saying. It says in verse 12, therefore, the people of Israel, they cannot stand before their army. So God makes it very clear. This is why you lost. It's not because you had a bad military strategy. It's not because you sent less people. It's simply because there was sin in your camp. That's why you were defeated. They turned their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. And I will be with you no more, Joshua, unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. And this is where we need to backtrack a little bit um, because back in chapter 6, what God said uh, to Joshua is this is how you're going to defeat Jericho. You're going to walk around it. You're going to shout at the very end and, and the walls come down. And he says very clearly, when the walls come down and the city is destroyed, I want you to burn everything. I, I want total destruction on that city. It says in chapter 6, verse 17, the city and all that is within it, it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. So down the road, we see that when, when Israelites, when they conquer other cities, they're able to keep some of the goods there. And obviously, they need that because they're in battle. But at least for this first battle, the first city that they conquered, God says, all that belongs to me. Right? It's the principle of the first fruit. This is the first battle that, that, that Israelites, they won. They, they, they received the, the, this incredible city as an inheritance from God. By the power of God. And so what God says, because I want you to remember that that was a work of God and not your own work, I want you to give that entire city to me. 
And you're not just going to pick it up and give it to me, but you're going to burn everything to destruction. And the things that you can't burn easily, for example, the silver, the gold, I want you to not keep it for yourself, but bring it to um, the treasury of the Lord. And so what God was basically saying is don't keep anything for yourself. Give it up to God. That was the clear command. If not, if you keep devoted things, especially things that were used for idol worship among the Canaanites, if you keep those things that are precious, what's going to happen is you will be the object of my destruction. I won't just destroy the city, but because you are part of that city now, I will destroy you. Trouble will come upon you. So God makes it very, very clear to the Israelites. And we see in Joshua 6, 24, And they, the Israelites, burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. So they did exactly what God told them to do. But we see in verse 1 of chapter 7, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to devoted things. For Achan, he, he took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So God says, there's sin in your camp. And unless you deal with this sin that exists among your people, you're not going any further. I'm not going with you. My presence, my favor is not upon you. It says in verse 13, so consecrate yourself, clean yourself, make yourself holy again, deal with the sin in your camp, and devote yourself to my purposes once again. If not, you will not be able to withstand your enemies. And this is how it's going to work. Now, God, not only does he identify the sin, he says, this is how, Joshua, you are going to identify the sin. You're going to cast lots, but my power is going to be beyond that, those lots. And so when you cast lots, you're going to single out a tribe, and then you're going to single out uh, a clan. And among that clan, you're going to single out a household. And then out of that household, you're going to single out an individual. And it says in verse 15 of chapter 7, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So the punishment that God wants to pour out on the person who sinned as he is kind of you know, identifying the person who sinned, he says it's the same exact punishment that I, I intended in the very beginning, that I want you to, to burn that person with fire, because that's exactly what I said would happen if you take the devoted things. So Joshua rose early the next day. He did exactly what God told him to do. First, he identified one tribe, Judah, and then he identif- identified one clan. And among that clan, he identified one family, and out of that family, he cast a lot, and the name Achan appears. And Joshua, finally, he, he confronts Achan. It says in verse 19, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Verse 20, and Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoiled a beautiful cloak of, uh, from Sinar, I took silver, I took uh, a bar of gold, I coveted them, I took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent. Literally, they are under my tent right now with silver underneath. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. And next week, we're going to kind of zoom in this, in this text. But just know that Achan was literally living on top of his sin. 
every single day. That's what he was doing. Every single day, he was living a normal life while ignoring the sin that was underneath the surface. So Joshua sends people to Achan's tent. Sure enough, they find all the silver and the things that he hid uh, underneath the tent. And so what does Joshua do with the Israelites? It says in verse 24, And Joshua and all the Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters, and oxen, donkeys, sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. They brought them up to the valley of Acre, which means the valley of trouble. And Joshua said this, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all the Israel stoned him. And they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. This is a shocking ending, a disturbing ending to a story, right? I mean, you feel kind of bad for Achan and his family, you, you feel like this is a bit too harsh. I understand that they're at fault. But to suffer this much, like, we kind of feel bad, right? We, we're thinking, why does God go to this extreme when it comes to dealing with sin? Well, the main message that the text is communicating to us today is this. Hidden sin always leads to destruction. Hidden sin always leads to destruction. It leads to destruction in two diff- uh, three different ways. Number one, hidden sin will always be exposed. Hidden sin, it will always be exposed. So um, it doesn't seem like anyone else really knew about Achan's sin. Maybe his, his personal family, and maybe that's why the sons and daughters were punished with Achan. But it literally says, like, Joshua had no idea uh, about this sin. The Israelites had no idea about this sin. And so they, they went into Ai uh, not knowing what was happening. And Achan, you know, probably he was thinking, you know, he, he got away with his sin, that he hid it completely. No one knew about it. No one saw it. Only he knows it. So he's thinking, okay, I, I'm, I'm getting away with this one. But notice that even when nobody else knows and no one else is commenting on this sin, God knows. So a secret on earth is an open scandal in heaven. You can fool people in your life, but you cannot fool God. God knows exactly what's going on, not just in your life, not just in your bedroom, but in your heart. Not only does he know about your sin, but God is willing to expose your sin. Look at verse 23. Really, the process of exposing taking the laws, and the highlight of this is in verse 23, and they took them out, Achan and his family, out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, along with their belongings, and they laid them down before the Lord. So all that that Achan gathered, all his possessions, all of his sin, everything that he stole from God, it's, it's right there, exposed in the entire camp. It's laid down before the Lord and before the entire people of Israel. So hidden sin will be exposed. I think with technology these days, we have a tendency to think, well, I can hide my sin pretty easily, especially with sin that I commit online. You know, I can just delete my history. I can just use some different things, ways. And as long as I stay in my room, no one's going to know. As long as I put a lot of passwords on my computer, on my phone, no one else is going to know. No one has to know. And it's not going to harm anyone. But notice that God says, Hidden sin will always be exposed. Now, it might not be exposed in your current life, 
but it will one day be exposed one way or the other. Number two, hidden sin, it will harm you and the people around you. Hidden sin will harm you and the people around you. Just think about what happened with this one personal sin. This one sin caused 36 soldiers to die on the battlefield. And you might think, well, that's not a big number. Well, just think about how 36 families that day lost a dad and and lost a husband. 36 families lost someone that they loved dearly and deeply. An entire nation was defeated and shamed, and now they are confused. Joshua is deeply grieved. He doesn't know what to do as, as a leader. The whole family of Achan, along with Achan, was killed. All the possessions were burned just because of one person's hidden sin. So it is a lie if you say that your sin does not affect others. Some people think, well, sin is a private matter. When you try to confront someone else's sin, you say, mind your own business. Like, it's not going to hurt you. This is between me and God. If God punishes me, I'll deal with it, right? We say, no, I'll keep this sin between me and God. Don't talk about it. Don't mention it. But notice that you can commit sin in private, but sin is never a personal issue. It's never a personal problem because sin It will destroy and harm not just your life, but the lives around you. There are clear consequences with hidden sin. The community that you belong to, your family, your church, will suffer if you fail to deal with hidden sin. You know, as a pastor, as a father, you know, whenever I'm tempted with sin, whenever I'm thinking, well, you know, I just want to get away with this one before God, I, I picture in my mind, literally, I picture in my mind Timothy and Irene. I picture my wife, Hayne. You know, I picture you guys, my congregation. And, and I'm picturing if I commit this sin right now, will I, will I be able to stand before these people and preach faithfully on Sunday? How would that impact lives of others. I'm not saying that I'm that great. I'm just simply saying that when I'm not faithful to the Lord, it impacts the people around us. I mean, for our youth, you know the effects. When your parents have hidden sin, that they have issues with anger, issues with unfaithfulness, issues with, you know, different things with laziness or something, and they don't deal with it. They just keep it underneath the surface. They, They just live in that sin Doesn't that impact you? Doesn't that affect you? Like your parents get mad for no reason. They they pour out their anger upon you when they're frustrated with their own life. And the same is true on the other side where, you know, when teenagers or or children, um, there are sins that that they're dealing with. Uh, They they feel ashamed. They're struggling to love themselves. They're struggling to honor God. And and every single day they're in a bad mood. And what, what happens? Like, you, 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 you hash it off on, on your parents, that you blow up before your parents and before your friends. And do you know that hidden sin, it makes people around you miserable? Miserable. When you are unfaithful in your workplace, like, and you, you, you've seen this before in a group project, when someone is unfaithful and they say, well, I just, I'm just going to get a bad grade. No, it doesn't work that way because you are part of a community. You're part of a group. 
the same is true with the church. The reason why, you know, sometimes, you know, as pastors, we have to address sin issues. Sometimes we say harsh things and hard things to, to speak truth in love to people. It's because we need the best of everyone. That each member of the body counts. You can't say, well, I can have a bad hand and a bad feet and still a healthy, have a healthy body. No, it doesn't work that way. According to the Bible, every member of the church is important. They are unique. They are irreplaceable. And therefore, we need every member to function properly. That's why we get into people's business. It's not because we want to get into private business. It's because personal sin is never a private business. It impacts your community, your family. If you're not living up to God's calling, and it's impacting your life group, your small groups, the friends around you. It's impacting the name, the reputation of the Lord as well. So hidden sin has incredible consequences. It harms your life and it harms the people around you. The third thing is this. Hidden sin, it will remove God's favor and power from your life. This is why hidden sin destroys your life. It will remove God's favor and power from your life. Notice that in this passage, when Israel, when they have this hidden sin in their camp, no longer does, do they have God's favor upon them, they have God's anger upon them. Right? They, they are subject to, to God's judgment. If you're walking in hidden sin, that means you're not walking with the Lord. That means you're not walking with the Spirit. And when you're not walking with the Spirit, you cannot be empowered by the Spirit to do the things for God. It is impossible for you to live in sin and live for God's glory. It just doesn't work that way. God is holy. Sin is not. And so a holy God cannot mix with hidden sin. And so what happens when you live in hidden sin is the presence of God is removed from your life. And when you do not have the presence of God, you do not have the power of God. That's been the main message in the book of Joshua. And so when you don't have the power of God, there's no way you can live the life that God calls you to live and experience the joy and the peace and the love that God gives you in an everyday basis in his presence. Notice that Jericho was strong, it was big, and it was fortified compared to Ai. Yet Israel took Jericho down with ease. Ai was weaker, it was smaller, it was more vulnerable. Yet Israel was utterly defeated when they walked into the city. Why? What was the difference? Sin. When you have hidden sin in your life, you're forfeiting the presence of God. And when you don't have the presence of God in your life, you're forfeiting the power and the favor of God upon your life. So hidden sin, one day it will be exposed. It will harm you and the people around you. And hidden sin, it will remove the presence of God and the power of God from your life. And some of you might ask this question, but I understand all that. But still, the ending is kind of, it's still a little bit disturbing, a little bit too harsh. I mean, stoning someone, that, that's a bit too much. Is God overreacting here? Is he just bursting out of anger? Well, I want to argue from today's text, God, he is angry, but his angry is, anger is just. That he is fair and just throughout this story in two ways. Number one, God's punishment is fair and just because God gave a fair warning to people. God gave a fair warning to people. He, he explicitly gave instructions not to take from, from Jericho. And he specifically stated the consequences of those actions. He said, literally, if you take the devoted things from Jericho, you will become that devoted thing and the judgment of God will fall upon you. And sure enough, God did exactly that. 
when Achan kept this devoted thing that he took from Jericho, the judgment of God fell upon him, and he was literally burned. After he was stoned, he was burned to death. So was God just and fair? Yes, because he was true and faithful to his word. He was consistent throughout the story. If he never gave a fair warning, obviously, yes, this would be unfair, but God gives a fair warning about sin. Number two, God's punishment is fair and just because God gave Achan a fair chance to repent. God gave Achan a fair chance to repent. Just think about Achan, how he's responding in all all of this. The issue in this passage, and we'll talk about this next week, it's not the fact that he just stole from God. I mean, that's a big deal in itself. God said, that belongs to me, but Achan stole from God. And the issue is not that just Achan made a mistake and he committed a sin. That's not the issue. The issue really is that he hid his sin underneath his tent, and he was, to live, he was willing to live in his sin every single day. That's the issue, that he had no sense of guilt, no sense of shame. He had a clear conscience, even though he was literally living on top of his sin, that he was apathetic towards his sin. He didn't feel anything about his sin. That's the real issue. And you, you, you count all the warning signs that are in this passage. I mean, 36 men were killed in the battle, and, and Israel was defeated. When Achan heard that, he should have immediately thought, okay, something is up. This is not right. Maybe it's because I broke the commandments of the Lord, right? That's a warning sign. And if that wasn't clear enough, he hears that Joshua is going to cast lots and single out who, who committed the sin. And so he waits. Sure enough, the tribe of Judah is called, and then his clan is called, and then his family is called. And notice that Achan still waits until his name is called. And when his name is called, it's not that he falls on his face and he breaks down in, broken, in brokenness and repentance and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. No, that's not the case. Joshua literally has to go up to Achan and says, what did you do? That's not a life of repentance. That's, that's just simply being sorry because you have nothing else to say. Achan never confronted his sin and brokenness. To the very end, he tried to hide his sin and as, as a consequence, he faced God's judgment. So is God fair and just in this story? Absolutely. Is God's judgment towards sin real? Absolutely. And God gives us a fair warning in our sin as well, that the wages for sin is death. That you can try to hide, you can try to hide, keep things in secret, but at the end of the day, one day, if not in this life, before the judgment seat of God, your sin will be exposed and my sin will be exposed. So here you might ask the question, well, this is a pretty dark passage. Is there any good news? Is there any hope in this passage? And I think there is. Look at verse 25. Sorry, verse 26, it says this. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remain to this day. So Achan is literally buried underneath stones. And by the way, some of you might ask, why did the Israelites stone Achan instead of just burning him? Well, uh, well, it's showing that this was a proper civil kind of judgment, right? The, that they realized that Achan sinned not just against God, but against uh, entire Israel because entire Israel suffered because of the consequences of sin. And so normally when you are executing someone in the Old Testament, the offended party is supposed to throw the first stone. And so that's why, you know, they performed proper execution and then they obeyed God by burning 
um, Achan uh, and, and everything that he had. But here we see that while Achan is under the pile of stones, then the Lord turned from his burning anger. So Achan is dead, and because of that death, because sin was paid for, the Lord turned from his burning anger. And why is this good news? Because if, when you come to the New Testament, the Bible tells us that although the wages of sin is death, and we deserve death, instead of us being stoned, instead of us being burned alive, God sent his one and only son to die on the cross. And through his death, he removes his righteous anger from us. Because he paid the ultimate penalty for sin, because he paid the price, we are atoned for our sins. We are forgiven for our sins. You see that God is serious about sin, but he's willing to forgive if sin is dealt with. And the only way that you and I can deal with sin in our life is through Jesus Christ. Either we die and we deal with sin with our own death, or we trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Achan and Jesus are so different. Achan lived a sinful life and he died for his own death. Jesus lived a sinless life, but he died for those who are sinful. And through his life, when we believe in him, God says, I'm going to give eternal life. That's the hope that we have in this passage. So as much as we are afraid and scared of sin, as much as we take sin seriously, do not forget God's mercy and his grace is all over this passage as he's giving time after time us an opportunity to repent, as he's reminding us that he's going to be really consistent with his word, that he's going to be true to his word. He's also sending his son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross so that we can live a new life in, the, in his death. We can live a new life because he paid the ultimate price. That is good news. And if we receive that type of grace, we can move forward and continue on our journey with God's favor, with his blessing in our life. You go to chapter 8, and it's a completely different story. When sin is dealt with in the camp and sin is no more, the people of God, once again, they have God's presence. And out of that presence, God unleashes his power. And through that power, they get to live the life that God called them to live. Isn't that wonderful? And he's offering that life to you today. So don't hide. Don't try to run away. Follow him. Trust him. And repent today of your sins. Let's pray.